Welcome to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast. We are always ready, always there. This podcast series is a production of the State Public Affairs Office. Hello, I'm Tech Sergeant Charles Johnston with Public Affairs. I'm here today with Captain Bryant Burns, a pilot with the 157th Air Refueling Wing. Captain, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Charles, happy to be here, buddy. So you just graduated from pilot training for the new KC-46 refueler, and uh, you're going to talk a little bit about that today. But before we get there, uh, can you tell us a little bit why you joined the Guard and uh, and why you became an officer in the Air National Guard? So for me, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after high school. Um, looking at my high school career as a whole, I really was subpar to begin with, but I really started putting in the effort and the work to up my game and hopefully set myself up for success. And it was my junior year, and one of my best friends at the time, Corey Rice, notified me. He's like, hey, I just joined the Air Force, and it's something you should consider. So my mom and I, we went to the recruiting station in Keene, New Hampshire, because I'm a New Hampshire native, and we met with Sergeant Hammer, Staff Sergeant Hammer. I still remember him to this day. And by the time I left his office, I had not joined the Air Force. And so from there, I was in the delayed entry program. And when I graduated high school in 2005, I shipped off to boot camp. And it was after boot camp, I was notified, hey, you're going to be a U-2 crew chief. And I was like, first and foremost, what's the U-2? And little did I know, it was one of our biggest um, ISR platforms that we utilize when it comes to collecting reconnaissance. And so after BMT, I went through my technical school to get trained and proficient as a flight line crew chief and started working out at Beale Air Force Base in California in early 2006. And it was at that point when I started working around airplanes that I realized, like, I want that guy's job. And we have this adage as maintainers that it takes a high school education to fix them and a college education to break them. But there was no question in mind that they had the best job at the end of the day when it comes to flying in the clear blue skies and just the overall enjoyment and job satisfaction, knowing that you're helping people all the time. And for that, after my first enlistment, I enlisted for six years, came the conversation with my wife, what do we do? And it was at that point when we decided to transition back to home here in New Hampshire and take a chance in the New Hampshire Air National Guard. So I talked to recruiters here in New Hampshire, and they were nice enough to transition me into a maintenance position. So I went from working on the U-2 as a dedicated crew chief to a newly coined three-level on the KC-135, learning how to maintain the KC-135, which was really good experience and good exposure. I got to meet a lot of the operations personnel and the work, and I have no doubt that you can get there. So that's what I ended up doing. I went to Southern New Hampshire University and finished my bachelor's degree in about two years' time because I had already completed some gen eds ahead of time. And then from there, I 
took all the testing that was required of me and submitted my package and got selected for a pilot position on my first interview. So that was a humbling experience, especially looking at some of the pilot packages that are submitted now. It's like, there's no way in heck I would get hired. (laughs) These people are talented. I mean, not just the education levels that they are getting in the schools that they attend, but also just their scores when it comes to like their, um, what their success rate might be through pilot training. There's these tests that you can take that kind of produce numbers, artificial numbers, but it helps units gauge, will this person in fact make it through undergraduate pilot training? And for me looking at that stuff, I'm like, wow, I guess, uh, I'm a nice person. Maybe that gets me where I am. But, uh, Either way, I went off to training in 2014 and graduated pilot training in the summer of 2015. And so I've been flying um, operationally now for about six-ish years, give or take. And that started on the KC-135. So when I completed pilot training, I went off to Altus, Oklahoma and attended training to learn how to fly the major weapon system that I'd be assigned, which at Pease is the KC-135 Stratotanker. So I went through that training portion. I think, to the best of my knowledge, it was roughly five and a half months to go through the whole initial training process. And then once you get back to your base that you're assigned, which for me was Pease, you then go through your continuation training to get you qualified to actually employ the aircraft when it comes to learning like tactics, techniques, procedures, things of that nature. And for me, I was really happy to fly the KC-135. The major driving factor for me was obviously location. My wife and I wanted to um, reside in New Hampshire and be close to family, but the aircraft always had an appeal to me from a crew resource management aspect in that it's a crew airplane and No one person makes the final decision. You work collectively to bring whatever issue you may may face to a logical conclusion. And I've really appreciated that. Plus, I think from my perspective, flying as a tanker pilot, we get some of the best trips. And the way our schedule is structured, it allows for us to actually enjoy the locations we go to. So perks of the job, right? (laughs) So, yeah. I got to fly the KC-135 for about three years. And for me, the reason that's special is not only did I become competent and qualified and comfortable flying that platform, but it was an overall building of like appreciation when it came to introducing the new airplane, the KC-46 Pegasus. Because we're talking going from a first-generation platform to a fifth-generation platform. So there's a huge jump in technology there. But the 135 was definitely a pilot's airplane. You're talking cables and pulleys, a lot of feedback when it came to pilot inputs, whether you're pulling back on the stick, you know, manipulating the yoke, or even just the throttle control. I would compare it to a, an old car, something carbureted. Everything's mechanical the linkage to where it wasn't uncommon when you're flying the 135 to have throttle misalignment because you're trying to have the same engine setting, but the linkage was just different. Things were worn, and you got that kind of feedback. But that's what provided the enjoyment, too, in that um, 
level of understanding and increased wherewithal because the airplane didn't always talk to you. There, there weren't alerts or message, like a master caution warning going off for every emergency. You had to be able to read your engine cluster and understand what was going on and, you know, do some of that pilot input and crew input to make sure that you were flying a safe airplane all the time, which was really cool. Um, for those who don't know, the KC-135 was introduced to the Air Force in 1957, and it was modeled after the 367-80, which um, the Boeing 707 was modeled after as well. So a lot of people say the KC-135 is a 707 variant. So yes and no, um, there are some similarities there, but there are also a lot of differences based on the way the Air Force designed and has employed that airplane. Obviously, the main mission with the KC-135 is aerial refueling, but the airplane was also capable of moving cargo, moving passengers, and doing aeromedical evacuation missions as well, which is really cool. And the airplane was proven so much so that um, the Air Force also adopted that um, baseline or that platform of an aircraft and redesigned it to be like a reconnaissance airplane, open sky treaty, things of that nature, um, really maximizing the returns when it came to how they utilized the KC-135 platform. Um, as I said earlier, I enjoyed my time on the KC-135, and I think that airplane made me a better pilot because of all the pilot judgment that was involved and has really made me appreciate what we now have for creature comforts with the KC-46. Um, with the KC-46, we have ground cooling, so it's nice when you're in a hot environment to have air conditioning on the ground. Um, we have an airline-style lavatory, which is really nice. So no more peeing in pee tubes and having to deal with the stench. It's a very clean environment, which is nice. We have an actual refrigerator on the KC-46. It's funny because on the KC-135, we'd often make a joke about the refrigerator because it was non-existent. But what we would do is the KC-135 had insulation wrapped around the skin of the airplane connected to the ribs with Velcro. And right by the crew entry chute, we would peel back the insulation and stick our items that we wanted to stay cold so that way it was resting up against the skin of the airplane to remain cold throughout the flight. So yeah, looking back on it, it's those little things they do. They make you smile. And for lack of a better term, you know, you're enduring the suck at the time. But that's what made the mission special. And in my case, like I said, has made me really develop the appreciation for the KC-46. The KC-46 is an amazing airplane. Um, another Boeing platform, it's modeled after the 767. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's a, a new shiny airplane. Yes and no. The 767 was first introduced in 1982. And although it's new to the Air Force, and it obviously has undergone subsequent upgrades to meet the needs of the Department of Defense, um, it's largely unchanged, like the actual dimensions of the aircraft. Um, the wingspan is roughly 156 feet. 
Um, it's 159 feet in length. So it's larger than the 135. And then for propulsion, the KC-46 only has two engines. The Air Force went with the Pratt & Whitney 4062 engine. So each engine on the KC-46 produces 62,000 pounds of thrust, whereas on the 135, we had four engines. So now you're managing four throttles, and each engine produced about 21,000 pounds of thrust. So we gained more thrust. It's a bigger airplane. But one of the benefits of the new technology is we aren't so weight-restricted. I think that was one of the biggest planning factors that always had to be considered from a pilot perspective on the KC-135 was running our takeoff and landing data and making sure that, hey, we can in fact carry this much gas and be legal to take off to support whatever mission requirements we're up against. And with the KC-46, it's overpowered so much so that our takeoff data, um, you know, our maximum takeoff weight on the KC-46 is 415,000 pounds. And um, it it doesn't really matter when it comes to, like, the field conditions. You know, the runway could be wet. Um, it could be a shorter distance. And more often than not, when we're doing our um, special departure procedures to really crunch the numbers, um, we can still take off weighing 415,000 pounds. So I think... That's where the Air Force made their money when it comes to overall performance with the KC-46. But other benefits that um, have presented themselves with the KC-46 um, is an overall um, better position for us as aircrew members when it comes to self-protection, defensive, and communication features, which makes us a more survivable platform in a contested environment. And the reason I see that fitting and important to bring up right now is for a lot of us, we've been pushed the information like, hey, we're moving away from built bases, you know. For a lot of us who are in service now, you know, we've heard of places like IUD, and those are well-built facilities, main hubs, if that, and that was kind of the model um, post 9-11, but now when it comes to our new adversaries that we face, we're starting to adapt this agile combat, com, excuse me, agile combat employment model where we now have to go in environments that are more austere, if you will. And this airplane allows us to operate in those environments and kind of hop around the world, you know, maybe not being tied to one location, but day-to-day -day operations are kind of fluid throughout like a area of operation. So that's been a big change for us. But this platform puts us in a position to operate in that capacity. And I mean, some of the, the features that the airplane has to offer, um, much better autopilot than the KC-135. The KC-135 had a very old autopilot and it wasn't coupled with the flight director which is basically your navigation guidance when you're looking at your primary flight display in front of you. So the KC-46 has three autopilot systems. So it not only has the built-in redundancy, but the system itself is much more high-tech to where the overall performance of the system puts us in a much better place. And what's nice about systems like that is if you 
build your understanding of how to operate these types of systems, it allows the pilot to do a bit of load shedding, and it kind of reduces the level of work. So you then can focus on other aspects of flying, or in this case, with us collecting a lot more information, we can, you know, digest that information and then disseminate it as we see fit, which kind of builds our situational awareness in the area of responsibility that we're operating, which is really cool. Now, Pease is the first Air National Guard base, if I'm not mistaken, to get this new airframe. It is, correct. Yep. we res- uh, The Air Force itself received its first airplane at McConnell Air Force Base in 2019. And if memory serves me right, we were not too far behind that. And we have 12 planes, and you've spoken a lot about the differences between the old Stratotanker and uh, the new Pegasus. And having just finished pilot school for the for the new refueler, what were some of the challenges? It sounds like it's a, obviously a more modern plane, and it has more conveniences and you know a lot more technology. But what were some of the, the differences and the obstacles you had to overcome going from one plane uh, to the next? Sure. I think looking at that holistically, one of the big challenges the Air Force faced was because of the weapon system advancement, they wanted pilots that were already trained on a major weapon system. So that became a challenge for folks that were going through the undergraduate pilot training pipeline who then had to be trained on something like the KC-135 just to go back to a tech school to get trained on the KC-46. I think from my lens, the biggest challenges that we faced is the infrastructure and the courseware um, as far as how that whole process unfolded. And there were some bumps in the road that made the training pipeline less than ideal at the time. Um, it seems like they worked out the throughput issues and other various challenges that we faced along the way when it comes to training Air Force assets. But that was probably one of my biggest challenges that I faced was just um, how that stuff all talked and kind of outlined the overall course content. As far as looking at the airplane itself, I think the biggest hurdle that a lot of crew members faced is automation management because the KC-46 has so much more to offer. But if you don't know what you're telling the airplane to do, then you aren't necessarily... I don't want to say in control of the airplane, but your level of understanding um, might put you a little further behind, if that makes sense. But the perk of being in the New Hampshire Air National Guard is a large portion of our crew force flies commercially, and a lot of them are trained on the 767 or 737, and a lot of these flight deck suites share the same kind of concept or same features. So that's allowed us at Pease, I think, to get ahead of this when it comes to how we train our folks. And it's put us in a better place. I think for me, a lot of it's just, you know, reading our SOPs and going through all that, but then just employing it constantly and just building that repetition. We've pioneered to an extent, the full employment of this aircraft. There's been a couple of firsts for New Hampshire. I don't want to say full employment just because the aircraft itself isn't fully operational capable yet, 
But we have figured out a lot of interim solutions to get out there in the system and operate at the highest level when it comes to not only flying missions, but how we integrate with the technology that the aircraft has to offer, if that makes sense. And a lot of that is tactics driven. But we have a lot of great people at Pease that are dedicated to building a system to not only train our folks, but keep us safe out in the system. But to go back to that question, we have, um, I know we've led the charge on a lot of coronets. So a coronet is a fighter drag. And we were some of the first involved with a lot of the Coronet West movements. Um, there was a lot of F-18 Hornets that were brought out in that um, area of operation. And we took part in that. Um, we also um, moved the Blue Angels. I know that was a, a big showpiece for us. I think we were the first to do that. And then we've gone through several iterations of this interim, uh, interim capabilities review. And with that, it's allowed us relief and allowed us to do more during our day-to-day -day operations. And we were the first in partnership with Afotech to move some F-15s over the Atlantic on a Cornet East movement, which then again is another fighter drag. And for those of you who don't know what a fighter drag is, um, when it comes to aircraft limitations, the fighters obviously can't hold a ton of gas. They, uh, carry other things that are far more important for their area of operation. And that's where we come in as far as a force multiplier. And we provide more loiter time and or extend their legs to get them to whatever their destination may be. So for a coronet, what will typically happen is you'll have a whole package that includes the fighters that are being moved and then the various tankers that need to be included to make that move happen. And the fighters will follow the tanker aircraft very closely and top off as necessary to get the gas they need to get where they're going. Um, and those are those are a lot of fun. I was on that Blue Angels uh, refueling mission. I don't think we were the first. We were definitely one of the first. But it was uh, it was a really it was a really cool uh, mission. I think we got a message from another state saying that they technically were the first. So we were at least I think we were at least second the very least, but that was, a, that was a pretty neat thing to see. I bet we were the first guard unit. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way for someone to join the guard and be a pilot? Well, there's many different avenues. I mean, you can take the harder road that I outlined at the very beginning when it comes to joining active duty, but for those who don't want to make the same mistake, you can just go ahead and cut to the chase and just join the New Hampshire Air National Guard right out the gate. Um, and it, it really just depends on the individual. Um, if they're lower in their education level, as far as, you know, being like straight out of high school, you know, it might be a good idea to join and enlist and pick up a job that might not be the end goal, but it's something that you are passionate about. And then take advantage of the education benefits that we provide as the New Hampshire National Guard. So that's one way. Or um, we'll hire people straight off the streets, civilians, as long as they meet all the prerequisites. So um, some of the big ticket items is your bachelor's degree. You obviously have to have a good standing as far as records go, uh, no criminal record. Um, you have to take the Air Force Officer Qualification Test, the AFOQT, and then there are a few other things that are pilot-specific. 
Um, we at Pease, we've been hiring pretty aggressively to where we typically have a pilot hiring board in the spring and the fall of each year, which is help plus up our numbers. But it, it, it takes a while to get something, your, get your return on investment when it comes to gaining that entity back. Um, so we're definitely putting in the work all the time to make sure that we're fully staffed and fully equipped to meet whatever Air Mobility Command needs from us. What's that music? That's just our outro. Good stuff, Captain Burns. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and best of luck to you flying the new aircraft. I appreciate the invite, Charles. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast.